pandemic got us into a reflective space and made us look inward to see what we can do for the world at large. As a self-expression coach, I became a catalyst for women and started Vani, a one-on-one -on -one coaching program for women on finding their voice, to speak up, to be visible. As a storyteller, I spotted there were many ordinary people amongst us leading extraordinary lives, making a difference to the world, and they needed to be heard. Thus was born You and I with Rashmi Shetty, where amazing personal journeys with their uniqueness and individuality are showcased. A reaffirmation of the fact, open your eyes wider, the world is far more beautiful when we acknowledge the presence of both you and I. Our guest today is Apurva Bose Datta, a Bengaluru-based author, award-winning architectural journalist, curator, educator, and editor with 18 years of global collaborations with architecture design publication houses, firms, organizations, and institutions. Trained in architecture and journalism from India and the UK, she is passionate about writing, curating architecture design content and discourses for diverse communication channels, professional speaking, offering training initiatives in architectural writing and consulting for academic and professional platforms. Widely published, Apurva has been recognized for her pioneering work in architectural design writing in India. She has been invited by the Australian and Finland governments to represent the Indian delegation at the International Media Visits of Architectural Writers in Melbourne in 2016 and Helsinki in 2018. She debuted as an author in 2017 with Architectural Voices of India and is looking forward to her forthcoming book, Architectural Inheritance and Evolution in India. Listen in as Apurva shares her journey on the road less traveled and finding her true calling, staying always true to the ethics and values that she imbibed as a child. Hi Apurva, such a pleasure to have you on You and I with Rashmi Shetty. And I have read the posts that you do on LinkedIn. Your work is amazing. I'm just so thrilled to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Rashmi. I'm equally thrilled to be a part of your series of these conversations. Great. Now you come across as absolutely in control, Apurva, all the time. So what was little Apurva like? Somebody always in control to the Apurva that the world knows you today as. Can you take us through your journey? Rashmi, it's nice that you're trying to connect what I'm today to what I was before because I have always realized that the first 30 years of our life, we are just living. We are young. We are exploring and trying to adapt to the new things in our personal and professional life. And uh, we never sit down and start connecting back the dots of why things happened in our life the way they did or why did we react to something the way we did or how you say that uh, the Purva that I am in probably control of things, was I like that before? Uh, but yeah, as you live life, you go through its different stages. It's 
probably a bit later when you start realizing that what you do, what you think has its seed sown in your upbringing, in your childhood. Um, so uh, for what I am today, I think um, uh, a trip back to my upbringing or my childhood becomes uh, important here as you, uh, as you pose the question to me. Uh, so without trying to sound pompous, I would say I was born in a celebrity household, uh, the youngest of three daughters. And when I say celebrity, it's not to say in terms of stardom, which can be fluctuating or in terms of material pursuits, but celebrity in terms of the love and respect that my parents received from everyone for the kind of people they were and they are, the way they went out to help out everyone the warmth with which they interact with everyone and their inner drive to spread happiness. So the first thing I learned from my parents was to be a good human being, irrespective of prof uh, professional credentials. And that, that is the core of any individual. And to be successful in life, that core must be retained lifelong. And uh, uh, when you ask me about uh, uh, an individual being in control of their life or being in control of uh, themselves, I think that core has to do um, do a lot with that. And um, I would I would credit it entirely to the way my uh, my parents uh, brought me up and the values that uh, they passed on to me and my sisters. Your answers are like textbook, okay. <laughs> So how are you as a student? <laughs> Completely the rote learning or somebody who goes to the basics, understands, dissects. What was your student life? So again, um, I would again say as a student, I was not um, a bookworm and I was not someone who was taught as an, again, uh, bringing up my childhood values. Uh, I or my sisters were never taught to be only focusing on academics all the time. My parents ensure that the three daughters focus becoming uh, all around us. So though we were extremely devoted and uh, dedicated to our academics, but uh, we were into a lot of extracurricular activities like music, dance, literary and sports activities. Uh, but as a student, I would say I would, I was uh, uh, very focused. Um, I was a good student. I, I was a very disciplined student. And I have also realized um, all along my way that um, I'm very happy with instructions that are given to me by someone who I know has um, the probably uh, the understanding to give that instruction, and I'm very happy to follow that. So whether it were my parents or whether it were my teachers, I I was born and brought up in Chandigarh, and I studied at Kamal Convent School, which is one of the very revered schools um, in um, Chandigarh or in North India. And, um, and I also credit them a lot uh, to the foundation that I have as a human being. Uh, so whatever my teachers would uh, teach me, whatever my faculty would teach me, I would be very, very interested. And I would, um, I would uh, completely go by what they would tell me and learn by myself. And, but I would also say that I was a lot exploratory uh, in nature. Um, again, the, that's something, uh, you know, as you said, I I've seen all your conversations and all your conversations um, touch back to what we are as people and how then it helps us in evolving us as professionals. So uh, let me give you two small examples here. Um, so today, um, um, you know, I am an architectural journalist. 
which is uh, which is not a mainstream profession in architecture. And uh, way back in 2000, when uh, uh, 2005, when I took it up, there was hardly anyone in India who was pursuing architectural journalism as a profession. So it has been uh, it has been a subject where I have explored a lot. But yeah, I'm going to be tying it back to this sense of exploration that I got from my parents. Um, I remember when I was in second or third class, um, I'm also connecting uh, it to what you're asking me, how I was as a student. Uh, so whenever I would be reading any text, uh, uh, you know, at home, meaning from my textbook, I would always underline uh, the words which I didn't know the meaning of. And I would wait for my parents, I would wait for my sisters to come back and tell me what those uh, words meant. So I did not want to read uh, uh, anything without understanding what it really meant. So I realized that for the first two or three years, my parents or my sisters would tell me the meaning. But when I went into fourth or fifth class, they gave me a dictionary. And they said, now, if you don't know the meaning of anything that you don't know, you have to consult a dictionary. So they didn't want me to be spoon fed, but they uh, they've instilled in me that sense of uh, exploration, which continues till today. So today, you know, today I'm an architectural writer and obviously I read a lot, but there are so many words, I don't know their meaning, but obviously today there is Google, but it's the same with me. I don't go uh, across um, uh, any, any text where I don't know the meaning before understanding the meaning of it. And today, obviously, I also have a word document uh, with new words that I don't know of, and I have their meaning. So when, you know, I want to communicate, uh, whether in terms of written or verbal communication, I can always refer to them. So that is also something that I did as a student. The second thing I would uh, also say is that we are all given homeworks, right? Uh, in second, third, or whatever class you are in. And um, I would complete my homework. And the other thing is that when you come back from school, you revise what you do that day. But um, after doing that, if I knew, knew, uh, knew of any subject or any chapter that uh, my teacher would be going to introduce uh, the following day, I would read the chapter myself. So that next day when you know we would do the chapter in the class, I would have a better understanding. I, I would be more in control of uh, understanding what the teacher was trying to convey. So again, if I have to bring that value to where uh, I am today. So as you said, in control, uh, uh, whatever I'm going to do, I do prepare myself uh, um, very well before that. So whether it's for the conferences that I go where either I'm speaking or I'm going to meet people. As a part of my profession of architectural journalism and writing, I have to do a lot of networking. I have to travel within India, um, outside India. I have to network a lot of uh, with a lot of people. So I make it a point beforehand to study those uh, to study those people, to study the themes that are being discussed in the conference, so that. When I go and meet those people or when I go and attend the conference, I have an idea about what's happening and the kind of questions that I would like to ask. Or for something like um, my book, my first book was called Architectural Voices of India, uh, which has around 19 illustrious architects from India. Uh, the kind of research that I did on the book was, was enormous. But um, as you rightly said, I like to be in control, which does not mean that I don't like to be spontaneous, but I also understand 
you can only be spontaneous when you have done your homework well, uh, when you have done your research well enough to know when you have to ask a question, which you might not have thought about before, but because it has come up and this is the right time to ask someone a question. So yes, so whatever um, I am as a professional today, rightly, you know, I've carried uh, mostly everything that I learned in my childhood from my parents. Yeah, very clearly, you were a very good student and the discipline shows in the way you're organizing your thoughts as well. Uh, I'm curious, how did a student like you not take up medicine or engineering, which is a normal uh, thing that most toppers or good students go into as a stream of education? And why did you choose architecture? So Rashmi, I, I think I would have to um, uh, say here, which I have also realized um, over the years, that sometimes when things don't happen the way, way you plan, uh, they are not happening that way because God has some things in store for you. And uh, um, I have, um, I have uh, you know, got to understand all through these years that God knows better than uh, better for you than you know for yourself. So that's probably also, also my, my story. And so uh, when I connect back the dots, I think uh, there were some pointers in my life, which obviously at that point of time, I, I didn't realize that this would lead to a profession like architectural journalism and uh, writing. So as I said, I was born and um, brought up uh, in Chandigarh. And I would also say that Chandigarh in a huge way shaped me, my thoughts and my understanding of spaces or the need for nature and spaces to gel together. Uh, the city and its spaces offered a serenity that made you love life. I am still in love with the city, though it's uh, changed drastically from before. And um, yes, I always wanted to do medical, you know, uh, from class two, I know anyone who would ask me, um, I would say that medical is what I wanted to do because uh, my father, my father, uh, Professor Dr. S. M. Bose, um, is a very renowned oncosurgeon uh, of India. And um, I have seen the love and adulation that he has received from across the world for his um, endless service to society for the passion and dedication, uh, you know, he has put into this field. But yes, I did end up uh, pursuing uh, non-medical and then I, in fact, took my engineering and architectural exams at that point of time. But I would say that um, I'm talking of the year 2000 when I was sitting for my uh, engineering and architecture exam. Uh, the understanding of architecture outside the industry was significantly uh, le uh, less, but because I was highly creative, I did sit for the exam. Uh, I found the exam very interesting. Uh, I even scored good marks to get into the Chandigarh College of Architecture, one of the claimed architectural institutions in India. Um, I actually did get through engineering too, but the branch of engineering, uh, based on what I had scored, uh, that I was being offered at the renowned PEC Chandigarh, Punjab University, was not a branch I was interested in. I was getting a preferred branch in other cities, but uh, my parents wanted me to be in Chandigarh, so I, I joined, um, uh, you know, architecture. But speaking about Chandigarh, of course, till the time I joined architecture and read about Le Corbusier and Pierre Jeanneret, who designed Chandigarh, uh, I had no clue that Chandigarh, because of its modern planning, is an international case study of how modern cities have to be planned. I was just enjoying growing up and absorbing the city. 
But as I said, when you connect the dots, you realize that you don't do things uh, as you plan because God has better plans for you. But anyway, when I, uh, you know, got into my, um, uh, got into the Chandigarh College of Architecture in the fourth year, uh, there was an elective, uh, not a mandatory elective, but anyone could pursue it, called architectural journalism. And because I had, uh, I had always considered writing um, uh, as an art, which was very close to me. I used to write um, uh, from the age of six or seven, because essentially I used to be a very shy girl. So when I realized that, you know, there was a subject which was uh, connected to writing, I took it up and I realized that in those six months of those electives, the enthusiasm with which I used to do the submissions was uh, unparalleled. Uh, I did not have that kind of enthusiasm for any of the five subjects, uh, any of the 50 subjects that I did in my architecture through those, um, uh, through those five years. But uh, yes, at that time, uh, when I graduated in 2005, the subject of architectural journalism and writing was hardly known or discussed in India though writing and communications in architecture have always been integral to the architectural curriculum and industry overseas. Uh, but again, it was uh, destiny that uh, right after I graduated, um, I got a job opportunity with Architecture Plus Design Magazine, one of the leading architectural magazines in India based in Delhi. I started working there. Then I worked with Indian architect and builder, another very well-known uh, magazine headquartered in Bombay. And then when in 2009, in between I was uh, also based in the UK, in 2009, uh, when um, I moved to Bangalore, I started working independently. So I always say that um, um, uh, architecture was my, my degree, but writing was um, uh, my passion. And somehow uh, God planned it that way that I could uh, combine my technical degree and my passion into something so beautiful and not only do it for myself, but discover a field uh, which, uh, which would be a field um, that would be very important for architecture in the coming decades. And um, as a part of what I do, I have also made it a conscious effort since 2005 or 2007 to increase the visibility of architectural writing and architectural journalism in India. Yeah. Clearly, clearly you're doing it, Apurva, because that's why I found you on LinkedIn, because I love the way you write, the way you uh, put your thoughts out there so creatively. And the very fact how journalism and architecture got married through you was something which was fascinating when I got in touch with you. So when you took this up as an elective, and uh, it was not very well known. After six months, you realized you liked doing it. But then when you came out, not too many people were in that space. What did that do to you? Did it say that because too many people are not there in this space, I can explore and find out and create my own? Or let me just try it. If it works, it works. Otherwise, I always have the option of getting back into mainstream architecture. So Rashmi, again, I would say it, it was a combination of both options that you just uh, described. Um, I will again uh, go back to something that um, I learned or invited from my parents, uh, is, uh, and that was to how to decide for yourself um, and stick, stick to that decision. But that decision has to come from a place of awareness. 
So for me, the decision of taking up architectural writing did come from a place of awareness. But of course, um, as I said, the awareness of architectural writing as a subject was minimal at that point of time. But I had the awareness uh, of how writing could impact architecture or the awareness of my passion for the subject that would help me explore it or the awareness to know that I would be very true to myself uh, in this journey, which did not mean that I didn't try and find out a bit about the subjects. I did go and speak to the handful of people who, who had some clue about it. But I would just say that I was so passionate and devoted to the subject that I, I wanted to take it up. But I would also uh, mention here that uh, right after graduation, um, I had other, I had kept other options also because um, I, di I didn't know what was the path that I would follow in architectural journalism. Um, so uh, I had um, other paths for me. I was interested in restoration. I was interested in interior designing. And obviously, I was interested in architectural journalism. And um, uh, before graduating, at least for six or seven months, I was writing to the two or three architectural magazines that were there in India trying to find out if they had a job opportunity so that I could begin working with them right after graduation. But six or seven months, I didn't receive any reply. But after I graduated, this was almost six or seven months after I'd written to them, one fine day I, I received uh, you know, an email, as I told you, from this leading magazine uh, saying that we have a position and uh, you know, if you would like to come for interviews, please do. Again, that was a very uh, tough decision because um, I've been born and brought up in Chandigarh and 23 years of my life there. And um, so moving, uh, moving to another city, I'm also the youngest, uh, youngest of the three daughters. So as you would understand, parents are always very protective of the youngest, youngest one in the family. And they're very fearful of, uh, you know, what happens when she steps out. But then it also happened that I, I got the job opportunity after the interview. And I thought that was a signal for me. And uh, yes, I, I told my parents that I would want to go. And they, 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 they were also not very happy of letting me go. You know, I'm talking about times 18 years back. Today, it's, it's very different. That time it was uh, uh, very different for them. And especially letting me go for a, for a career, no one had any idea, especially in India. No one had an idea what was architectural journalism, what, what does an architectural journalist do, what is she going to do after you know, working with some magazine. So uh, I would say that it was, it was a lot of passion. It was a lot of determination. And it also helped that my first job opportunity with leading magazine uh, gave me that kind of foundation. Uh, I was the youngest in the team there. And but they probably saw something in me that they used to give me great responsibilities, uh, whether it was working on the magazine, going and interviewing people, going and covering events, uh, curating events. Um, uh, they they had an award ceremony for their awards in Malaysia. I was handling that, so they gave me that responsibility, and and it worked. It worked well for me. So I would also say that if I wouldn't have got that kind of foundation with them. I would have probably, you know, uh, be hesitant to uh, know what my future course would be. But I got that foundation, but um, that foundation was also necessary when I started working independently after a few years. Because when I moved to Bangalore in 2009, Bangalore was a new city for me. I hadn't studied here. I didn't have any professional connections. And to begin independently here was a big, big deal. But uh, then because I had had some kind of foundation, um, it gave me the thrust. 
And uh, I would say it required a lot of determination because at that time people would turn around and say, what do you do? Meaning, why are you wasting your time after, uh, you know, five years of a technical degree? But I think if you love something and if you have the faith in yourself that you will give your best, the world makes it happen more than you want to make it happen. So that is how I would like to put it. Yeah. And here comes the crucial question. You have decided to get into a space where not many people have been there because of a passion, because uh, you feel that was your calling. But, you know, a lot of us do that. We take that risk. But then there are days when you are completely down because here the motivation is intrinsic. There's nobody outside pushing you. So how do you, what do you tell yourself and how do you cope up during those moments of downs from within? Um, so I'm going to connect this back to um, what you asked me, the first question of being controlled in yourself. So I think at these times, uh, you can't be in control of the circumstances around you, yeah. but you can be con uh, in control of what you want to do in, in life. And if you're very sure about what you want to do in life, and if you think that is going to uh, make a difference, I think, uh, you know, you will, you will kind of put in uh, all the hard work. And while I'm talking about the importance of writing to arch architecture, I, I want to take a moment here to talk about the importance of architecture, uh, because uh, what generally happens that architecture is supposed to be a field which is elitist and hence disc uh, escapes discussion in mainstream media. But the fact is that uh, we are all impacted by architect uh, architecture. I want to uh, share this quote by Alejandro Arivana, who is a renowned architect from Chile, who won the Pritzker Architecture Prize in 2016. The Pritzker Architecture Prize is the highest award that one receives in architecture. I was reading on one of his projects and he said that architects design nouns, which are like windows, ceilings, and floors. But these nouns come from verbs, which are like itself, verbs like looking, eating, and meeting, which is to say that architecture is born out of life and hence it's an integral part of everyone's life and not only of architects and builders. We cannot delineate architecture to a narrow section of society because the fact is that we are breathing day in and day out architecture. And um, as writers, therefore, I also say that communication in architecture should also be directed to the masses because in general, the discourse on architecture and building with lay people is significantly less. So coming back to your Rush, uh, question, Rashmi, um, then there are two things. One, you understand the importance of writing to architecture. Second, you understand the importance of architecture because you have been uh, technically trained in the subject. Uh, you understand the spaces are not about two elements, three elements. They are all about, uh, about emotions and the kind of impact that spaces can, ha can have on lives. So you understand the importance of architecture. And thirdly, you, you are so uh, passionate about the entire subject. So even when there are days that you feel something uh, is not working, uh, now, after 18 years of my career, I look back at my uh, journey and I say, I am in a much better position than what I was 15 years back. There were no resources at that time. There were no contacts at that time. There were no avenues at that time. But I've spent so many years of my life looking at those avenues, exploring those avenues. So there is no reason why I should be 
sitting back to today and saying that this is going to be very challenging. I, I think it's very important that those challenges are converted into opportunities. And the other thing, uh, which I'm again very blessed that I have received um, in these many years from people across the world, whether they are professionals or whether they are students, is the love and the respect uh, that they give me uh, for the difference that they think that I have brought into architecture by uh, an initiative called Architecture Journalism, Architecture Writing, by talking about it on uh, so many different platforms. Today, there are scores of people across the world. I don't only talk of students, I talk about of professionals also who have anything to do with design and architecture, who want to become architectural writers. So the love and the adulation that I receive from them for whatever uh, I might have been able to contribute to their life is also a big, big um, you know, push for me to continue doing uh, what I do. And third, as I say, um, I am a lot about um, my family. So the happiness that I see um, in the eyes of uh, you know, my family for whatever I do, that's, that's always there. So even in times when you're not doing professionally or you, you are feeling a bit low, the kind of love that you respect from your family, from your friends, from your near or dear ones, or from your well-wishers, I, I think that's a great push for anyone to move forward in life and not sit uh, down and you know, feel sad about what's happening with that. Apurva, I have seen the picture of your cover of the first book. And uh, when you were talking about how architecture and culture are closely connected, and if you go back to history also, when we see a particular dynasty leave, it is the architectural remains that tell us what the dynasty is all about. The style of all the different buildings that they create and leave behind is what tells us about their uh, culture. So if you can show us the book, if you have it next to you, what was the book about and what was your research with relation to what I just asked you about life? So, uh, so actually, this is the book that you are yeah, mentioning. Yeah. It was published in 2017. So it's called Architectural Voices of India, a blend of contemporary and uh, traditional ethos. And so it okay, was basic. You said architectural voices of India, but the cover page was very intriguing for me where there is nature, there are birds. Is there a particular reason why uh, that picture was the one you thought suited it best? Okay, so, um, so Rashmi, I would also say that um, I am someone, as you would have probably deciphered from my conversation, I'm someone who likes to go for things unconventional. So I don't like to take the conventional path. So even if it's a book cover, I like to abstractly hint on the theme. And, you know, I don't uh, like a book cover which is there in your uh, in the face. So in fact, even for the second book that I'm working on, um, you know, uh, when you see the cover, uh, uh, you uh, it is something which is intriguing and it, it makes you wonder, what is it? So uh, the reason um, uh, my book cover, the first one, Architectural Voices of India, is the way that you see, you see, uh, you see kind of uh, birds, birds on the on the cover, is because I always believe that birds are the most national architects on this earth, and how they come together, how they build a different kind of forms, and they still still uh, stay in harmony. It's a metaphor that I've used for architects because. The book, uh, Architectural Voices of India, it brings along architects, 
different archetypes from different regions, 19 of them uh, with different philosophies, different age groups. So the youngest architect in this, uh, in this book was in their 50s and the oldest was in their 90s. So the main theme of the book was to get all these different architects uh, with different philosophies to come on a platform and talk about architecture. So that's the metaphor of birds as I've used that, you know, different birds, they make their different nests, but uh, then, uh, you know, they all belong to a community. So how these architects come together uh, with their different ways of approach to architecture, but to build for society at, um, uh, you know, build for society. Um, yes, and uh, Rasmi, uh, what you asked me about history. So it's not something that I've only um, got through um, the research that I did on uh, my book, uh, but all through uh, whatever I have worked on um, through these 18 years of my career. And which is to say that our history and our tradition um, are definitely only present or should be there in what we design today, uh, not probably in the way they were being implemented uh, uh, many years back, but um, in the philosophy, uh, in the philosophy um, um, that they were adhering to. So, for example, we talk about a lot of sustainability or energy efficiency or green trends today. But if you see uh, where do they come from, it, they actually come from, um, from our traditional architecture. So for example, even if a courtyard that was so much a part of uh, Indian tradition, if it's being implemented today, uh, you have to see the context in which it is implemented today. And there is so much to learn from Indian architecture. As you, as you said, the different styles, the different regions, the different rulers, and uh, different religions. So I think uh, they are one of our best learning, and they should be showing a path to us to how we are going forward in architecture today. And of course, because this uh, my first book, it had uh, architects from all across uh, age groups. Um, they spoke about the past. They spoke about contemporary architecture. They spoke about architecture as a subject and a, a profession. So that's why, as I said, the book's, uh, book's title is Architectural Voices of India, but the tagline is a blend of contemporary and traditional ethos. Okay, wow, okay. And when it comes to individual spaces, Apurva, as an architect, and now that you've been in the space of writing, which means, like you said, you read a lot, you research a lot, getting into a particular space, does it tell you a lot about the person also intuitively, or is it completely scientific? Um, well, uh, it can be both ways. Because if the architect uh, has done a good job, then the architect will be able to reflect the user's personality in it. But if the architect hasn't go done a good job and the architect wants to build what they want to build, then the space probably the architect's personality is there. So uh, in fact, whenever um, I go to uh, review a project or write about a project, and this is something that I also talk a lot in my sessions on architectural writing or a course on architectural writing that I have been um, conducting, I say that when you go and um, study a project, just uh, looking at the project and trying to understand this is what I like, this is what I uh, not like, is not the correct way to write about a project. It is important to get the architect's take or the reason why the architect has done the things they have. It is also important to get the user's take on the, on the project because on hindsight, the user is using the project and they will be able to let you know how the project works for them or how it does not work for them. 
And it's also important to research on the project or on the typology of the project that you're attempting. Or for example, if it's a public project, you might want to uh, you know, uh, research on the social context, the cultural context, and how it's going to impact the users. So when I go, go to any space, and if I'm studying it, that is when I'm studying it, I try to get all these aspects into consideration before trying to review what the project uh, is trying to imply. So that is how I said that architecture is important and architects are important because architects are able to translate the user's uh, dreams into projects. And they, uh, you know, um, I read this quote um, somewhere which said that architects leave a silent narrator uh, in their buildings. So when an architect exits a building, they are not supposed to be there in the building itself. Uh, actually, the users who are going to be using the project or the clients, they are the ones who are going to be making it their own. So the architect's work actually finishes once they complete the project and they step out. Okay, and when it comes to buildings and caves that you go into, uh, like let's say the British uh, constructed buildings that we have still in India and quite a few places, you see the construction, it's withstood the test of time as well, or the Brihadishwara temple, for example, down south. All of these uh, constructions have uh, definitely stood the test of time, but the original uh, makers of those buildings aren't around. And the people today who are using it are not the ones who were there when it was originally constructed. So when you get into those kind of spaces, what do you see, Apurva, for yourself, especially since your way of looking at spaces is very different from what we do. So how do you look at such space? Um, I think that um, uh, the architecture that happened um, many, many, uh, many decades back, whether it was in our country or uh, in other countries, that is very fascinating because uh, that is a way of uh, um, making us understand how lives were being uh, led there. So unfortunately, at that time, uh, you know, architects were architect. Uh, architecture was not that kind of a profession which was talked about. But uh, through those structures, or through those buildings, or through those caves, or through those spa spaces, you understand how people used to live, how they uh, used to react to things. And uh, so when I go, uh, I like I like to travel a lot. And when I go to these places. Um, I, I am very intrigued, but as I said, I, I do I do research before going back to the, those spaces because there's no one to uh, give me an idea about how things were done, how things were constructed, how things were made. So I always do a lot of research um, from my end and then go and try to kind of decode the creative principles that the builders uh, you know, implemented at that time, which can help me understand the, uh, understand the construction process or how space just used to uh, impact uh, people uh, at, at that time. And, uh, you know, the importance, I'm going to tie up the importance of writing in architecture. Um, how, how do we today know about what happened in traditional architecture? Or how do we know about the different architectural movements that took place, whether it was uh, modernism, brutalism? It happens, uh, we know about them because there's architectural literature on it. If there would have been no literature on it, we would have had no idea about it. So that is where, uh, you know, I would again like to reiterate the importance of literature or I would like to reiterate the importance of writing uh, in architecture. Uh, but this is also interesting, which um, 
uh, which I was watching some movie that day and um, it intrigued me when they said that when you read literature, are you supposed to kind of uh, believe all of that? Because that's generally generally what happens, right? We read uh, we read literature and we kind of believe it. Or you are in that position where you go and question it. So that's again interesting for me because uh, when I have done my research and when I go back go to these spaces uh, with the kind of technical understanding I have uh, of architecture, I go and uh, question question a lot of things in these spaces. I might not always uh, find the answers for them. But then if I have to write a piece about it, it's always nice to put across those questions, meaning you can always leave it open-ended and uh, let the readers know that you also probably don't know the final answer. But as a writer, I think it's very important for us to research and second uh, is to question. So I do a lot of uh, questioning. Uh, so sometimes I get a lot of uh, my answers and sometimes uh, it makes me more hungry uh, for knowledge or to understand how things used to happen uh, in the past eras. And what has been your biggest aha in your journey as an architectural journalist? Um, well, there, um, I don't know the biggest, um, uh, um, I, uh, biggest as of now, I can say that uh, there have been some stages in my life for some achievements which I would say have been very, very close to me. Um, I would probably talk about them uh, separately, but um, I think today when I look back and just knowing that people uh, people know what is architectural journalism, uh, and I'm talking about the people in the architectural industry, I'm not even talking about people outside the industry. Uh, people in the architecture industry know what is architectural journalism, what is architectural writing. Today, if you see senior architects, uh, you know, uh, they are addressing uh, well-known academic and professional platforms, they talk about architectural journalism as a subject. 18 years back, as I said, people people, people didn't know what it, it was. So I think one of the biggest achievements, because even when I might have been traversing my own personal journey in architectural writing, I was very focused on increasing the visibility of architectural writing and journalism. So when people know that there is a subject called architectural journalism, uh, architectural writing, today you will see people flaunting the title of um, architectural journalist, uh, you know, whether on LinkedIn or anywhere. And um, there are discussions around architectural journalism and writing. And people coming back to me um, saying that, you know, um, uh, you are a role model for us and probably we would like to emulate your path. I think that in totality, is, is the biggest aha moment that I have been, you know, I have been, um, um, I have been able to uh, make uh, make a different um, somewhere because, as I said, it's not easy taking the unconventional route in life, but then it allows you to explore the unknown and create a path for yourself rather than emulating someone else's path. Uh, emulating someone's path might be okay in some terms, but then. How satisfied do you feel about your contribute, uh, contribution to making uh, a difference? So whether it's an unconventional field of architectural journalism and writing that I took up or the work that professionally I'm engaged in, uh, curating discourses and discussions with people who are not doing the run of the mill work, coming up with books on themes that I felt were absent in the market or exploring avenues in architectural writing. This has all been unconventional. So, uh, you know, uh, when I see people coming and appreciating, you know, 
uh, professionals, academics, and uh, I, I have had people from the other professions also who have come up and told me that because they understand the importance of spaces. I remember once an investment banker, he came and he came and he was so interested in understanding what architectural journalism is because he also wanted to take the same part. So when people come and um, appreciate the kind of uh, contribution, whatever I have been able to make in architectural journalism, I think that would be my biggest um, achievement, apart from you know probably coming up with uh, coming up with books or um, um, training. I train a lot of um, a lot of professionals and students in architectural writing and journalism. Um, I've also I also do an online course on architectural writing, uh, where I have trained 450 professionals across 17 countries. So those are the smaller smaller moments. Uh, but the bigger moment is um, uh, people accepting uh, and acknowledging. And I would say that's been my uh, biggest aha moment. And if I'm not wrong, um, if whatever I do in, my, in the future, and if I continue to get the love and respect from, from people, um, I would be most happy with that one. Wow. You're so young, Apurva, but you talk like completely a gray head on green shoulders kind of person. You've seen so much of life. And uh, I think that is what happens when you take the unconditional because you don't know what you would meet as uh, people or as circumstances on that road that you take. And since you're in this reflective space, the pandemic was one moment in all our lives, in fact, not a moment, years, which made us all step back and reflect on what we are doing and where we need to stop, pause, and then take the next step. What did the pandemic do to you? What were your reflections? Um, so, Rashmi, you are correct about uh, the pandemic being, um, uh, uh, being a lesson for us in many ways. But unfortunately, the pandemic, uh, whatever the pandemic uh, forces to learn, uh, many of us uh, seem to have forgotten it all and not taken the lesson seriously. Um, but anyway, there, there was a lot that I learned during the pandemic and I have tried to incorporate it as a learnings. So while everything is normal, uh, is going normal for you today, do not make excuses not to do things. Otherwise, life can throw a pandemic at you. And even if you might... Uh, want to do something, life then will restrict you. So before life gets an opportunity to restrict you, do not restrict yourself. The second lesson I would say is that uh, something that I have learned and, and imbibed is that circumstances and situations can change for you anytime. Don't get walked down by them. Adapt to those circumstances and reinvent yourself. So that's something um, I also did during the pandemic when I'm talking about in my professional space, Rashmi. I have been someone who has been quite traditional in the sense that I've been very, very confined um, to the print media, uh, not completely, but confined to the print media. And I was not um, exploring the digital medium to that extent. But um, as you know, everyone moved to the digital medium. So uh, even if I talk about um, the workshops or the cl classes um, that I was doing for architectural students and professionals on architectural journalism and architectural writing, I was doing it on an academic platform or I'm doing, I was doing it on a professional platform. And uh, while that is all wonderful, but an offline, uh, offline event, you can impact only a certain number of people. But during the pandemic, I came up with a course, um, uh, a six-week online course on architectural writing and journal, uh, journalism. 
And that was in response to the number of emails that I was receiving from people across the world all these years to start training in architectural writing because especially in uh, the Indian architectural curriculum, writing does not feature as a mandatory subject. And when you talk about writing in architecture, you need it. Even if you don't want to pursue architectural writing as a full-time career, an architect needs the basic skills of writing. So I started a six-week uh, six online course on architectural writing uh, on the digital medium, which I continued. I completed 10 batches just a few months ago. So even when the pandemic, we said bye-bye to the pandemic, I still continued it. And then, uh, I have also been curating a lot of discourses uh, on architecture. So um, I was uh, working with the Council of Architecture of India during the pandemic. I was heading their vertical where I was conducting these dialogues with a, a lot of people. And then um, my, my second book uh, also came up during this time. So what I want to say is that during this time when circumstances and situations um, changed, I thought this was a good time to reinvent myself. So I did that. So that's that's another reflection from the pandemic. And the third reflection is um, understanding the importance of a family, which I think every, everyone did. Um, uh, I think it was almost uh, three years that I didn't meet my parents and sisters uh, before because of the pandemic. And for someone like me who was visiting Chandigarh, meeting the parents and sisters twice a year and spending like, 10, 15 days with them. It was very, very difficult. But again, I would say I kind of put the situation to some good use. So being away from my family uh, gave me the impetus to work on my second book, which is on families and architecture. Uh, the book has just been published. I haven't yet seen the final product. Um, and I'm looking forward to make the formal announcement soon. So Apurva, just now you mentioned the theme of your book, which sounded very intriguing. Can you tell us a little more of what the new book will be? Yeah, so Rashmi, as I said, I was away from my family during the pandemic, uh, which made me understand the importance so much more. And I guess it was the same with everyone. Uh, for some years, I had been ideating to work on a book on architectural families in India. Um, and the pandemic gave me the thrust to start working on the book. Uh, it is called Architectural Inheritance and Evolution in India. And the book pivots on three aspects that are also central to my existence. Uh, first is family, then architecture, and then India. Uh, we all know that for family bonds in India are very different. They are tied to tradition and social cultural aspects. Uh, we have many architectural families in India who either share an architectural practice across generations or the different architects in the family have their separate practices in other families, some architects go into practice while others go into academics or join outside the family. Now the question is how architecture, which is so ingrained in our lives, as I was discussing before, ties up these families or how does architecture situate itself in family bonds in India? So two creative people can look at things differently and hence six architects in a family can also have six different ways of creating spaces. How then they come together what is the equation they share at work? How is the work divided? What are the pros and cons of having more architects in a family? And since architecture is such an omnipresent field, does it become a topic of their dinner conversations too? So that's just the basic theme of my book, uh, which has not been uh, explored before. And how I have studied it is by taking 10 acclaimed architectural families in India, traversing their journeys and taking them as case studies to understand 
how differently architecture can contribute to their family bonds or how family bonds can impact architecture. So a total of 44 architects from these uh, 10 families are a part of the book. Uh, the youngest family members are in their early 20s, while the senior most um, architects are then in their 80s and 90s. And when you read about these families and the decades that have passed between them, the book also starts making you realize how architecture as a subject and a profession itself has changed um, in these six to um, seven decades. And uh, I would also say that the book would be an interesting read, obviously, for people from the industry, but for even those people who are not connected to the architecture and design industry, uh, and also for readers who understand that spaces define us, who hence can understand the interesting yet understated role of architects uh, who run family practices or have the same profession running in the family and will like to read a book which talks about how things work when you have so many creative heads in one family. So that's my book, Rashmi, and um, it's already published. But yes, I have yet to make a formal announcement of this. All the very best, Apurva. I'm sure it's going to be a bestseller. And having met so many people over the years for your books or otherwise, I'm sure you have a lot of life lessons that you've picked. So can you give us three of your life lessons that you hold very close to your heart? I've had a lot of life lessons that have been passed on from my parents um, or my teachers or my inspirations. Um, but those are technically not my life uh, uh, lessons. So I'll not repeat them here. Um, I consider myself still young enough to continue to learn many lessons from uh, life. But whatever experiences life has already thrown up for me, um, obviously, there's been much learning. Um, so the first lesson that I have is that your happy phase of life does not teach you what the dark phases of your life teach you. Do not disregard those dark phases and lament about how they have ruined your life. Remember those other times which will help you grow as a person, understand yourself, your strengths and your weaknesses and what you want from life. So when you turn back and remember those unfortunate phases of your life, be grateful that you've got an opportunity through them to grow up more in life. My second lesson would be that ethics, a clear conscience and staying committed are the most satisfying assets you can invest in. Whether personally or professionally, you must be true to yourself before you are true to the world. It takes a lot to invest in them and sustain them, but the inner calm these can give you, even when outside there might be a lot of noise, is enormous. And thirdly, I would say that respect people and the time they invest in you, personally or professionally. Uh, do not dilute their contributions by saying they did it because they had free time. Uh, you know, Rashmi, the concept of being too busy or too free is subjective. At one time, I can be free for someone, though I'm busy for someone else. So if someone is making you the priority and giving them your time, please respect them. Uh, this is, again, not a lesson in one's personal space, but definitely in the professional space, too. Apoorva Bose, it is an honor having you on You and I with Rashmi Shetty. I knew there is a very deep person completely hidden from the world based on your posts and the small little conversations we've had. I'm so glad I had you on the show because the layers that you have within you, Apurva, and you've just, just touched the surface of what life has taught you and there's so many years left for you to make a difference. On the road not taken, 
making a difference, inspiring people already, I'm sure life has a lot in store for you. All the very best in all that you do. Thank you, Rashmi, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, I must um, um, conclude here by saying that the need to decode what makes a person is critical, and we do not uh, generally do that or give time to decipher ourselves. Uh, but um, as I told you earlier, I have been following your podcasts and initiatives, and the way you have gone about decoding people is beautiful. So thank you for making me a part of it. I'm so delighted uh, to be here with you uh, for this conversation. Likewise, Apurva, stay blessed and continue inspiring because you're amazing. With that, we come to the end of this weekly quest of You and I with Rashmi Shetty. Do let us know if you know people who make the world beautiful. Write in to rashmi.thethirdeye at gmail.com. That is R A S H M I dot T H E T H I R D E Y E at gmail dot com. Come, let's explore this amazing world together, both you and I.